to ask the average person, how's your level of courage? I think most of us would say, oh, it's pretty good. I think, we're, I think, I'm, pretty, I think I'm pretty brave. And yet, according to psychology today, 74% of Americans say that they are more afraid of public speaking than they are of dying. I mean, you all are kind of scary. I have reoccurring nightmares about this. But, but, but I think that we all think we're stronger, more courageous than we actually are. And yet, God calls us to be people of courage, to be strong. And that's what we're going to dive into over the next few weeks as we look at this New Testament book of James. I love this book, and I know that you're going to enjoy this too. It's so practical uh, as we're seeing how God is calling us to live and to grow and develop a courageous spirit that fights back. But before, before I get into that, I, I love to celebrate great moments. I love to celebrate people. love to celebrate when big things happen. And so I just want to take a second to really celebrate a special lady who gave her life to Christ last week here at Fairdale Christian. So give it up for Kendra Hines, who accepted Christ into her life. And uh, if you were here last week, and you may notice it's a little different in here. It's got a little different vibe to it than uh, last Sunday. But man, wasn't that fun last week? And we celebrated the Super Bowl of preaching. Did you enjoy that? Good. Man, I uh, I, I love that. It's so fun. And I, I always enjoy meeting new people who come and check us out. And like, hey, I heard about this thing. And I met this lady last week who uh, here for the first time. She said, somebody invited me. And I, I came to church. And she said, uh, uh, I'm I just not sure what to expect, and I said, well, you, I can guarantee you this, if you've been around church, you've never been to a church service like this, and I saw her after the service, she said, well, you're right, I've never seen confetti cannons and all that stuff, I said, well, I told you, but next week going to be a little different. Uh, th- now, this, uh, this week, we're starting this series, which is like my favorite thing. It's like my favorite day is when we jump into a new message series together, especially when we're looking through a book in the Bible. I think it's just so, so great to get that full picture of it. But you can go even deeper than what we're going to get to go on Sunday mornings. And I, if I've said it to you once, I hope, I, I hope you hear this. That we really, really want you to be involved in a life group. That's where you're going to go deeper into this stuff with other people. And so if you haven't signed up to be a part of a life group, please stop by the Next Steps area or, or go on our website and you can find the info there. We've got these books out in the lobby. I hope you saw these. We've developed this curriculum to go alongside this study in the book of James uh, we'd love for you to be in a group and go along, but if, if for whatever the reason you just aren't able to do that, go ahead and grab one of these anyway for your personal study, because I, I, I'd love for you to go along a little bit deeper, even if it's on your own, so that you get the full benefit of this book, because it is rich, and, uh, and I, I believe it can really be life-changing. When you look at the book of James in the New Testament, if, you can, if you've ever been familiar with it, if you've read it, you, you may know this who it was written by. Obviously, a guy named James, right? That's who wrote it. And yet, what, we, what, we, what you may not know is that James was the younger brother of Jesus. Half-brother, if you want to get technical. But uh, he is Jesus's younger brother. And I think to myself, and some of you, maybe if you've got you know, siblings, especially if you've got younger siblings, what would it take for you to believe that your sibling was the son of God. How, how, what would they have to do to prove that to you? 
I'd be expecting a lot, i got to be honest. i got two younger brothers, and uh, I'm kind of a knucklehead, but I think as, as we got, you know, as the, the, the kids kept coming, it's just like the, the knuckleheadness just increased as the, my brothers came along. But you think to yourself, okay, what would it take for, for my younger brother, my, my younger sibling, to prove to me that he really was the son of God? You'd think, oh, I need to check him into some kind of a psycho place. You know, this, this is nuts. But you look at James, he didn't buy it at all at the beginning. In John chapter 7, verse 5, it says that even Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. You know, sometimes we don't realize that. We, we kind of get this prettied up version of Jesus coming along and teaching and everybody just following him. And yet his own family said, man, you're nuts. What are you doing? And, and in fact, in Mark chapter 3, it says that Jesus' brothers and, and his mother had come to see him. And the reason was, especially with his brothers, the reason that they came to see him was because they thought he had lost his mind. He's teaching this stuff and saying he's the son of God, and, and they, wanted, they wanted to take him home. So let's, let's get him out of here. And you probably would do the same thing if, if your younger brother had started saying those things. You'd say, we've got we, to get him some help. And that was the situation. So what is it that happened that changed James' mind? How is it that he would go from a total skeptic to a sold-out believer it was the resurrection. It was after Jesus rose from the dead, he personally appeared to James, and that would lead James to become one of the most, if not the most, committed leaders in the early church, including writing this letter. And, and the good news for, for us today is that the relationship that James had with Jesus started really poorly, started on the wrong foot, but it ended really well. And so if for some of you in here today, if you've heard about Jesus, or maybe you feel like you haven't had the best relationship with him, maybe you feel like things are a little dicey or rocky, and you're not sure, you've got some doubts, there's still some part of you that wonders if Jesus is really who he said he is, if that's part of your journey, coming to, to understand who Jesus is and to trust in what Jesus does, everything changes for James when Jesus rises from death. So there's hope for you and me, is what I'm saying. If you've got doubts or you still got questions or you feel like, I don't know if I'm where I need to be, it's, it's okay. James is, is Jesus' kid brother. He's there at the cross. He saw his brother die. He goes to the funeral. He sheds his tears. He enters into the grief process. And then three days later, Jesus returns. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that he was seen by James. Jesus was. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, was seen by James and later by all the, the apostles. Now, that had to been quite a day. I, I don't know what James said to it. You know, you wonder, okay, Jesus shows up, and I wonder what James said to him. I hope that he, the first words out of his mouth were, sorry, bro, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I doubted you. You, you really are the Son of God. And then we read in Acts chapter 1 that the, the first Christians all get together after the resurrection you know they're all together and that included mary jesus's mother it says that jesus's brothers were there james is there by galatians 1 and 2 i know i'm giving you a lot of history stuff but this is good this is important stuff for you to know as you're reading through uh, the new testament on your own by galatians chapter 1 and 2 
James has become a leader in the early church. And so Paul says that when, when I was commissioned by God into the ministry, I needed to go and meet with the senior leaders. So he met with Peter, the leader of the disciples, John, who was Jesus' best friend, and James, his brother. And the point is, James started by not believing in Jesus. He ended by believing in Jesus and trusting him completely. And that's my prayer for us as we go through this next six weeks together. That even if we've got a few little doubts that are hanging on or a few little uh, question marks in our mind or in our hearts, that if we have any part of us that is having trouble trusting, having any trouble believing in Jesus, that by the end of this journey together, we will be trusting him fully even if your relationship has started poorly, by God's grace, just like James, it can end very well. Let's dive in. We're going to look at the very beginning. If you're following along with me in James chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we're just going to start from the top, and we're going to go through and, and uh, just enjoy this, this great journey together. This is what it says. It says, this letter is from James. Listen to how he refers to himself, a slave of God. He's, he's sold out. A slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings. Another thing I think is interesting about, about James, he had a couple of nicknames. Uh, one was that he was known as James the Just because he was just so committed. Even, even before his uh, commitment to Jesus, he was a committed Jew. He... he was very serious about taking the commandments, uh, following the law. He was, he was very faithful in those things. But another name that he had was Camel Knees. They called him Camel Knees because he spent so much time praying. He spent so much time on his knees praying to God that his knees were worn out and, and just covered in calluses and, and uh, they looked all rugged. So he's got a great foundation of commitment and dedication. This is what he says. Verse 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I believe that's one of the most scandalous verses in the Bible. Just look at that. Just, just look at that. It's on the screen. Let that soak. My dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come into your life, consider that an opportunity for great joy. Does anything sound more backward than that? Another interesting thing for us to know, I, I, at least I kind of nerd out on this stuff. The word in the Greek language that he uses for the word uh, any kind, other translations say many kinds, that word is the same, what it, what it, the best translation of it is it means multicolored. It's the same word that's used in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, uh, to describe the coat that Joseph's father gave him. Remember, we just spent some time talking about the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors. It's the same word. So I thought that was kind of a cool connection, coming out of one series, going into the next. These many, these multicolored problems... What, when, when those things happen and they look different from person to person, it's an opportunity. Verse 3, he says, you know 
that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. This is hard stuff. This is challenging. But it's, it's good. I mean, any one of these verses could be cross-stitched on a pillow and it looked really nice on your couch but when you read it and you really try to understand what is he saying to us this is hard stuff there's no way that we can get there outside of the holy spirit's help outside of being fully surrendered to god when trials come your way consider it an opportunity for great joy i find that shocking uh, one thing that we know about trials, they're not fun. I don't know anybody that's going into a you know, season of, of just tough times that say, man, I'm just so looking forward to this. Can't wait to see how bad this hurts. Because I, oh, I just know that, oh, it, it'll be good in the long run. I know this will be good for me in the long run. Nobody says that. Nobody thinks that way. We all look at hard things when, when something bad has happened to us or in our family or in our lives. We dread it. We want to find a way to, to sneak around it. You know, how can I short-circuit this thing? And, and it's so complex. That's even the mention of trials of, of many kinds. These multicolored trials, they look different for all of us. They come in all shapes and sizes. For some of us, it might be a financial trial. For others, it could be problems with your kids. They're heading in the wrong direction, and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. They're not listening to you. They think that you're, you know, you're, you're outdated or whatever. They, they don't want to hear what you have to say. could be trials with your health, or maybe it's in your marriage or with your job. could be a spiritual trial where you, you know that God is there, but you're not really feeling it right now. For others, it could be an emotional or a mental trial. Those moments when you say, I don't know how much more of this I can take. I feel like I'm losing my mind. I've sort of hit the limit of my humanity. You know, I feel like I, I just want to lash out at somebody. And what happens is sometimes our trials, uh, they, they come so close together. One trial and, and the next and the next. Counselors call that complex grief. I don't know if you've ever heard that term complex grief it's it's like an avalanche for your soul it's when it's all hitting you. you you felt that before one thing happens and another thing happens and another thing happens and and you don't have time to process any of it you're just you're overwhelmed by all of the feelings that's our world right now that's why we have so such a mental health crisis by the way you, you see all these things that continue to happen you're like what is what's wrong it feels like people have lost their minds they have they have lost their minds. There, there's a guy in the Bible named Job. He experiences complex grief. And you see him with trial after trial after trial. And no opportunity to process one before the next one hits. He's, he's at home one day. And, and at the end of his driveway, here comes a messenger that says, uh, he's got a frantic look on his face. And he says, Job, I've got bad news. Your kids have all died. Tragic crisis trauma and before that guy gets done with the message there's another messenger at the end of the driveway comes up frantic news more bad news and he says i'm sorry but your business has burned to the ground you've lost everything and, and he's, what's going on and, and and then the next one comes up and over and over and you're you're so consumed 
in complex grief. You're so overwhelmed by the weight of everything, you don't have the time or the energy uh, to, to heal or recover from any of that. For some, the trials aren't small, like a bad day or something, but they're, they're actual tragedies. And there's a loss. Uh, your, your soul feels crushed. You feel like you won't ever be the same again. How can this be? An, how can this thing that I'm experiencing be an opportunity for great joy? That doesn't make sense. Well, let me tell you something that I have learned. I've learned this the hard way. And I just want you to remember that I'm your pastor and I love you before I say this, okay? Let's just lay that foundation. The trial itself, the bad thing that you're going through, it, it may not be a gift from God, but God can use it as a blessing in your life. That's how this works. The, the hard thing is, is not a gift, but God is going to bless you through it. That's how this works. And, and there's a couple of ways that I've seen him do that in my own life. These are things that have happened to me personally and what I've seen and what God's revealed to me. First, trials, this is a funny thing that they do. They, they have a way of stripping away the false idols in your life. Every Christian person that I talk to, no matter how, you know, no matter how lukewarm they may be, if you ask them, hey, you got any idols? They say, well, no, I don't have an idol in my life. What are you talking about? That's weird. I don't bow down to anything else. And then you realize, and you start looking at your life, you know, we just sang, you know, we just sang that song that says, you are my desire, nothing else I want. And we're singing this, you're all I want, you're all I need. And as I stand here singing that, I'm listening to all of us sing it together, and I can't help but wonder how many of us actually mean it. I mean, really mean it. You're all I want? You're all I need? Because here's what I've seen is, you don't realize how much you're trusting in something else until you face the prospect of losing it. When, when all of a sudden it might be taken from you, how do you respond then? That reveals your heart. It reveals what you're worshiping based upon how you respond to it being potentially taken away. And sometimes you don't know that. Sometimes you don't know what those hidden idols are. You might trust in your health you might say i'm a strong person i can handle whatever i need to handle i've got a high threshold of pain you know i'm i can go out there and and uh, and do what i need to do and take care of myself and you might trust in that until you get sick you might trust in your retirement portfolio and say i'm set up we made sacrifices we worked really hard we did all the right things and and you might really feel good about that until inflation comes along and your investments droop and you say oh no and it reveals again your response reveals what what you were trusting in what happens when trials come and people and and things that we have faith in they're they're, they're shaken it reveals that we can only trust god he's the only he's the only one who cannot be shaken, who cannot be moved. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. You, you recognize what he's saying there to us? Our Lord and Savior who died for us, he loves you. He extends a hand of grace to you. He wants you to know, if you try to hang on to your own life, 
you got a ninja grip on it, you will lose it. He's, he's not being mean. He's not being mean-spirited there. He's telling us the truth. If you try to hang on, it'll slip through your fingers. But if, you'll, if you're willing, if you have a posture where you would give it up for my sake, that's when you find life. That's when you, you find that your life is saved. And here's another thing that, that trials do for us. Trials reveal our true selves. Who are you really when nobody else is around? Who, who is the person that, that you really, really are? This can be positive or negative. Pressure doesn't always change us, but sometimes it just reveals us. And when hard times come, what comes out of you? What kind of a person are you? What's your, what's your default? Are you an angry person? Are you a fearful person? Are you a panicky person? Uh, are, do you, do you, is, your, is your default to get angry at God immediately when something bad happens? It's, why would you let this happen to me? Do you take it out on your spouse? Do you take it out on your kids? Do you go kick the dog? I mean, what, what do you do? What, what comes out of you? Do, you? do you turn to some old crutch to find relief when you say, oh, I just don't want to deal with this, so I look for something that will just you know, take my mind off of it? There are things that you learn about yourself through trials that nothing else could show you. And more than that, there are lessons learned, and there's growth that happens, and, and, uh, and we could never get to that place. We'd never learn those things without, the, without a test. There are people who have really inspired me in that sort of thing, uh, going through trials and seeing what comes out of them. And, and I think the people in my life that have inspired me the most the last several months and, and, and really just been such an inspiration to so many have been Phil and Marsha Miller of our church. You know, Phil is on staff here. And, uh, and he was given a really serious cancer diagnosis. We're still praying for him. He's still on that journey. But the thing that has been most powerful has been their default attitude towards it. I imagine myself or many people that I know, if, if, if that were the, 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 the diagnosis that we got, what would happen? How would we, we respond? How would, would I be angry at God? Would I be angry at myself? Would I be angry at the world? Would, what, what would come out? And what I have heard repeatedly come out of Phil and Marsha's mouth over and over again is, hey, you know, a lot of other people have had to walk this road. Wish we didn't have to, but here we are. And, and if this is the road that we have to walk now, we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's it. We're going to keep our eyes on him, and we want the world around us to know that God is faithful and he can be trusted no matter what. It's an inspiration. That's, that's why I'm inspired by, by them is because that's what's come out of them. It hasn't been, there's been a lot of other emotions, I'm sure, as well, but that's been the thing that's risen to the top. What about you? That's another thing that trials do for us. They reveal our true selves. But another thing that I know about trials, and this is true, is they can draw you closer to God in a way that nothing else can. Trials just have a way of just making us hypersensitive to God's presence. Sometimes we get so busy and we're running in all these different directions and then we wonder, why don't I feel God? Why do I feel so disconnected? Why do I feel like God is so far from me? It's because we've, we haven't been listening. We've, we've been running in all these other directions. I, I remember sitting in the back seat of my grandparents' car. My, my grandpa, he, uh, he watches us every week. Uh, he's probably watching right now. And uh, 
love my grandparents, love, love faithful, faithful Christians. But I can remember uh, going, they would take me out for you know, to places every, every once in a while. And I can remember sitting in the back seat of their car and they'd be listening to the Gaither vocal band. <laughs> and I just remember, I've got this vivid memory, it's just seared into my mind of, uh, of my grandmother kind of humming along to the song that the, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. I, uh, I meet with a group of ministers once a month in our area, and we met this past week, and uh, one of them was sharing a story that happened recently in their church. Uh, he said there was a young lady who had been going through a really difficult time in her life. This is a young lady in our community uh, at, one of our, at one of our local churches. As she had decided that she was done, she'd been going through a lot of trials, a lot of pain, and she decided she was done. Uh, she decided she was going to take her life. So she went down to the Big Four Bridge, and she was prepared to jump off. And she said that at that moment, uh, she said to God, God, if, you, if you're real, and if you're there, I need to know right now. And she said in that moment, her phone went off. The text message from a friend and uh, she read it, and this friend said, hey, I want to go visit this church, and I don't want to go by myself. Would you come along with me? Let's, let's go to church this weekend. And uh, so, number one, the power of an invite. Don't ever underestimate how important and how, but also, number two, don't ever underestimate how God wants to use you. Those moments when you feel that little, I always say it's like a spidey sense, kind of feel like you know, man, I just kind of feel like God wants me to say this. I just kind of feel like God wants me to reach out to that person. God, you know, don't, don't ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's probably a better term than spidey sense. But don't ignore the prompting of the spidey sense, right, <laughs> of the Holy Spirit. But that, that girl, that, that woman, she went to church that next week, was so moved by the message that she was baptized after the service that day, and she told the story, she said, I, I was in such a low place, and yet God was so good to me uh, to, to use a friend to remind me of his love. Trials can draw you closer to God in a way that nothing else can. There's something about hard times that drive us back. James said, uh, he knew something about that. He's, when he's writing this letter, it was a time that's kind of similar to ours. People are divided. Uh, Their government was oppressive. And these faithful Christians are scattered all over the place. Lots of uncertainty. I think we feel that. I think we feel that. It's beginning, at least to me, it's beginning to feel more and more like this great American experiment is almost over. You know, like we're, how much longer is this going to last before we just, you know, tear, tear ourselves apart? That feels like that's around the corner for me. I don't know if you feel that or not. Uh, but what, what do we do? How do we, how do we navigate life? I, I think we can look inward and we can become so discouraged and so depressed and we can spend all of our time complaining about the problems that we have and the problems that we see coming or we can choose to draw near to God. This is what James says in verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. Just understand how... how what he says there, this is a promise to you. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, 
be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty, you know, if I got one foot in and one foot out, oh, yeah, I follow Jesus, but I also like to do my own thing. Or, yeah, I, I, I want a relationship with God, but I'm going to do it on my terms. No, that's not going to work. Says, a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Let's pause there. Some of us, that's us right now. If, that, if, if you feel like that's you, you say, well, I, I, yeah, I, I like Jesus. I like the idea of Jesus. I try, to, you know, I try to build my life in some way around things that he said. But I also want to do what I want to do. And I don't want him getting too close to me. And then we're frustrated when it feels like I'm disconnected or God's not moving in my life. I, I, why is that? Well, James tells us. This is the kid brother of Jesus. He said, if, if you're like that, you don't expect to receive anything from him. That divided loyalty. Verse 8, the loyalty is, is divided between God and the world. And they're unstable in everything they do. It's kind of a warning. Trials can draw you closer to God, but the opposite can be true if we allow it. They can push you away. And unfortunately, we've seen plenty of that. People, when life throws something unexpected and they, their faith crumbles and they just leave, leave their faith, they walk away from their faith completely. Sometimes what can happen, you, you go through hardship and you get angry and you get bitter. And, and, and what, I'm, what I'm saying is rebelling against God doesn't help anything. It's easy for us to, to get mad at him and blame him and pin it all on him. Well, he could have done something. Why didn't he do it? Why do I have to walk through this? Running away from God does not help anything. Running to God helps everything. And what he's talking about, your trial is coming, your test, and I know you're all going through something. And some of you are going through something that's catastrophic, traumatic. And for you, it's a, it's a trial and it's a test, but I, I want you to pass it so you can graduate on. To the next level of maturity. And the only, way to, the only way to graduate is to learn to rejoice. The world does not understand this. I said that verse. And verse 2 is kind of one of the most scandalous verses in the Bible. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider that an opportunity for great joy. That is weird. The world doesn't understand it. And they look at us and they say, you all are crazy. They don't understand it because they don't know God. That's why. They don't, they don't get it. Rejoice in the Lord. That's the one line in the Bible that can change your life. If you will receive it and embrace it and apply it. Rejoice in the Lord. The reason that the world can't rejoice is because they don't know the Lord. And so everything's fixated on the bad and the trial. And, and he's, he's saying the trial may still be there, even though you're going through something hard, but there can still be joy there. It may not change anything, but it changes as you go through it. And, and that's, there may not be a lot of joy in our, in our lifetime. There may be hard things around the corner for us, but once something is, is over, we're left with the joy. And this is not a denial of reality. This isn't, oh, well, we'll just ignore things and just pretend like everything's going great. That's, that's not real. That's not authentic. But it's the awareness of the presence of God in your life. Being sensitive to what is he saying to me 
what is he doing in my life? It doesn't deny what's happening out there. But it's faith that the Holy Spirit is in here. And the fruit of that spirit includes joy. Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the reason is because that, that pursuit of joy, your, your body needs air. Your body needs water. Your body needs food. Your soul needs joy. Just as much. So how do we work this out? I just want to leave you with this, this challenge. Don't respond to your hardship. Respond to the Lord over your hardship. Don't run away from trials. Don't run away from God. Run to the Lord. And you'll find something there. This, and Jesus told parables, it's like a treasure in a field that when a man found it, he went and he sold all that he had to buy that field because it was that precious. That's what this is like. Let me just finish out the first chapter of James. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers, the little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth in that word. That you, you see us as we are and, and you, you choose to love us. And you love us enough to confront us with the hard things in, in, in our life, the things that we want to avoid. And I think that's real love. Father, I pray that you would continue to work out the, the issues in our life that are in opposition to you. Help us to keep our focus not on the shiny things around us, the temptations that coming from our own desires that want to drag us away. Help us to not pay attention to those things, but to keep our eyes fixed on your Son. And we can find life there and freedom. And may we be able to sing and to say with full confidence that you're all I want and you're all I need. Help us to grow to that place. Take us by the hand. Lead us there, God. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday.